0: Heavenly Father, we we give you thanks, we give you praise that you are our living hope, um, that you have conquered the grave, that you sent your son to do what we never could do. Uh, Lord, we just come before you right now, and and we ask that as as we center ourselves on your word, that you will speak clearly uh, through your scripture, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate um, the truths of your gospel message, and that we will just leave here changed. Uh, we center our lives on you. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, if I have not had the privilege to meet you yet, my name is Josiah Tobin. Um, I do have uh, the honor of serving here as one of the elders at Cross Community. And uh, this morning, I am, I'm excited to get to open up the word to continue in our study of Philippians 3. And so I would invite you, if you're not already there in your Bibles, please open with me to Philippians 3. Uh, we're going to get started with Philippians 3, verse 12. And Paul is the one writing here. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'm a young father of two, um, and one of the joys that I have is getting to do a lot of bedtime stories at night. I just had the honor to dedicate our... Uh, newborn son, Michael, and I also have a three-year-old daughter named Holly who just loves bedtime stories. And one of her favorite ones is this book called You Are Special by Max Lucado. I'm going to take a little bit to tell you about that as uh, it will hopefully parallel with what we're learning here this morning. And in this book, we we meet this uh, group of people. They're wooden and they're called Wemmicks, and they have a carver who made them. And what the Wemmicks do each and every day is they go around and they give each other gold star stickers to the other Wemmicks that are talented or pretty or funny or smart. And meanwhile, uh, to the Wemmicks that are clumsy and awkward and ugly or just have no talents, they give them gray dot stickers. And in this book, we meet a Wemmick, and his name is Punchinello, and things are not going too well for him. Um, he's just covered in these gray dot stickers. And he ends up meeting another Wemmick, and it's this Wemmick who has no stickers on her. And he asks her, you know, how can this be? And she tells him to go see Eli, who lives up on a hill. He is the carver and the maker of all the Wemmicks. And it takes Punchinello a little bit of time to work up the nerve, but he ends up going to see Eli. And when he meets Eli, um, Eli greets him by name, and Punchinello is just caught off guard. And he ends up apologizing for all of his bad marks, but Eli tells him that he doesn't care what the other Wemmicks think about him, and neither should he. Um, Eli tells him that he's special because he made him. And my favorite line comes after Punchinello asks Eli, why do I matter to you? And Eli says, because you are mine. Um, I I often ask my three-year-old daughter, Holly, before she goes to bed, if she knows why I love her. And I think I've told her it enough, so she kind of has memorized the answer. But she'll say, uh, she'll know I say, because you're my daughter, because you are mine. And when it comes to Holly, you know, I don't just love her because she's pretty or smart or funny or can memorize things. Um, And also, fortunately for her, I don't stop loving her when she disobeys me, you know, like when she takes a bunch of syrup and dumps it all on a couch when their mom's out of town or something like that. Um, and I also don't stop loving her when she throws these irrational temper tantrums. I'm sure a lot of you parents out there can relate, you know, like if she's asking me to open up a cheese stick for her and I do, but then she freaks out because she didn't want me to open it up, um, stuff like that. What, what really matters is I love Holly because she's my daughter. And if I'm able to do this in my fallen, sinful humanity, how much more so is our God, our loving Heavenly Father, able to look on us and love us in his perfect, unconditional love for the simple fact that we are his? Um, in verse 12, what we just looked at, it says that Christ Jesus has made us his own. He looks at us and he says, you are mine, And it doesn't matter how many good things we've done because we can never earn our own credit. Um, It's not about our gold star stickers that we accumulate in life. And it also doesn't matter all of the sins that we've done in the past or the things that we'll continue to do. It's not about the gray dot stickers that we get either. It's the fact that Jesus went to the cross and died in our place because we are his and he wants us to come home. So in light of that, let's go ahead and dive into the first four verses of our scripture passage this morning. So this is, again, Philippians 3, 12 through 15. Paul writes, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So our first point this morning if you have your notes you can follow along with me, it is that we are called to press on by the grace of Christ. Press on by the grace of Christ. Um When Paul writes this, he's actually demonstrating a lot of humility and honesty by saying that he's not already perfect. Uh, Last week, Taylor talked about how Paul was just giving his impressive religious resume and all of his accolades, but to Paul, all of his perceived righteousness that he was trying to do before Christ, he just counts as loss. He counts as rubbish compared to that of knowing Jesus. And even though Paul had an incredible encounter on the road to Damascus, even though he went on to be a really effective missionary, uh, enduring hardships, shipwrecks, snake bites, prison, death attempts, he still struggled with sin. Right? He was a human just like every one of us, and he struggled with sin his entire life. So Paul uses the language that we are to press on. And this is actually similar language to what he used in Philippians 1.12, where he wrote about advancing the gospel. Uh, This carries the meaning of moving forward, and it's not just being consumed with the past. It's the mentality of you're just continuing to plow ahead without looking back, kind of thinking of like a military march or even a runner in a race. Um, Getting back to the verse, for those of us that appreciate grammar, it says that Christ has made us his own past tense, and because of that, we need to press on present tense. And this correlates to the theological uh, principles of justification and sanctification. Justification, that is our declared righteousness before God. And it occurs when when God calls us and we respond to him um, in salvation. So for many of us, justification is something that has happened in the past tense. But sanctification is our gradual growing righteousness. So we think about the present tense here. Uh, we're able to be declared righteous because God looks at us through the lens of what Jesus has already done on our behalf. Last week, we looked at the idea of imputation, that we get Christ's righteousness imputed on us, and that's how God views us, which is incredible news. Uh, When Christ said, it is finished on the cross, he was saying that our debt had been paid in full. Now, this doesn't mean, uh, unfortunately, that we stop sinning, but it means that when we become Christians, uh, we, are, we still have room to continue growing in our relationship with Christ. And it's really important this morning that as we look at this idea of pressing on, that we understand we are not working for our salvation. So please flip back a few pages in your Bible with me to Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 4. So Ephesians 1, 3 through 4. Here Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So these verses, they show us that God chose us and Christ pursued us so we cannot earn our own credit. Jesus did the ultimate work on the cross that we never could do when he who was without sin took on our sin upon the hard wood of the cross. Christ purchased our freedom, and we have a merciful God who does not give us what we truly deserve, but instead he gives us this gracious gift of salvation that's made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So when we read that we're called to press on, we need to understand the order of salvation. It is not our works that earn us salvation or the approval of God, but rather it is the work of Jesus on our behalf that's able to bring us back into a right relationship with God. Uh, Matt Chandler, he writes in his book, To Live as Christ, to Die as Gain, this quote. He says, there's something right and good about a disciplined life That is built around knowing Jesus more fully, but we must never forget the reality that he first pursued us. So again, this drives home the point that we're called to press on in our relationship with Christ in response to what he's already done. And we can only do this through the grace of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to grow in our relationship. Um, Getting back to our main text in Philippians 3, verse 13, Paul writes that he's not dwelling on his mistakes of the past. I coach cross country, see one of my runners back there, and I tell them all the time, don't look back. When you're about to, when you're running a race and when you're about to get to the finish line, do not look back. Because what happens is lots of times people, if they look back, which happens on other teams, not on our team, right? Um, but when they look back, they'll see either someone gaining on them, and it will mess with their confidence, and they'll just end up slowing down. And Paul is using a similar language here when he says uh, that he is forgetting what lies behind um, we see the same picture. Paul's not just living in the past of his sins and reminiscing on all of his failures, but instead he's straining forward. And we see a similar language in First Timothy 4, 7 through 10. Again, the words will hopefully be on the screen for you. First um, Timothy 4, 7 through 10, it says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. For while, god- while bodily training is of some value, godliness is a value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So these verses are again built on the presupposition that all of our training, all of our toiling, all of our striving, it only takes, pa- takes place after our justification. When we receive the salvation of Jesus, and we're reminded here of the difference between the temporal and the eternal, and because we've already been found in Christ, uh, we should desire to do good works for Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, and it really clearly explains the difference between faith and works, or I'm sorry, how they interact together. And so it reads this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's after we receive the salvation that we're called for good works, not from good works. Um, I talked about Matt Chandler earlier, and in his book, he talks about this idea of holy discontentment. And what he's really getting at there is not that we should um, never be content in life or find joy in life, but that we should be able to, to see areas in our lives where we are still spiritually weak, um, areas that we might be stagnant in our spiritual growth, and we should not be content with that. We should be pressing on in those areas. Um, Getting back to verse 14 of Philippians 3, Paul writes, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul's writing here as though he's an athlete. Uh, The Greek word for goal is scopio. And scopio is this idea um, of archers who would be fixing their minds on the target or runners that are looking at the finish line. And both in archery and running, it's the end goal that is the driving focus and the source um, of what they're trying to do. It's also interesting to note uh, the word prizes. Uh, For the Greeks back then, a typical prize would have been a wreath that they would get to wear. You think of the Olympics and what they would be wearing for that. And one of my other favorite prizes that they would actually get back in the day was they would get free hometown meals for life. Like if they would win a big event or race, they get free hometown meals for life. And I'm just thinking like, how cool would that be? You know, you're running a local 5K and you win it, you get like free Chick-fil-A for the rest of your life. I mean, that would be awesome. Um, and that's great, it'd be pretty awesome. But honestly, free Chick-fil-A still pales in comparison to the prize that we get. So what is the prize that we get? Well, we get perfect, fellowship with Jesus for eternity. So again, no offense to waffle fries, but I'm gonna going to take on with Jesus um, every day. It's going to be far more fulfilling and satisfying. Paul adds on to this idea in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. He writes, "...do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things." They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. So let's look a little bit more at the distinction between the words goal and prize that Paul uses. Um, William Hendrickson, he has a great quote. It says, when this perfection is called goal it's viewed as the object of the human striving. But when it's called prize, it's viewed as the gift of God's sovereign grace. So it's important to remember that as we're pressing on in our relationship with Christ, it's a result of his grace. We're not just trying to attempt to earn our own perfection because we could never do that. Uh, We also need to remember that when you're running a race, you don't get the prize until after the race is completed. So we will receive this prize of being with Jesus in perfect fellowship when we enter into eternity. Paul also uses this language of running in a race to remind us that we're not just spectators that are supposed to be sitting idly by. We are called to actively pursue growing in righteousness by the grace of Christ. Paul continues in verse 15 by saying, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Uh, The Greek word for mature here is the same Greek word that was used for perfect in verse 12. So what Paul's really saying is that the mark of a perfect or mature Christian is to realize that one is not yet perfect or mature, I'm a teacher at Holy Trinity. Um, A few years back, I taught about Socrates, teaching about the ancient Greeks. And Socrates had this encounter with the oracle at Delphi where it was revealed to him that he was the wisest Greek on earth. And Socrates thought that was kind of interesting because he always said that he knew nothing, but he decided to try and seek out and see if that was true. And so he would go up to all of the so-called wise Greeks or who claimed to be wise, and he would basically just question them again and again. And what Socrates realized is that all these people who claimed to be wise, they were just full of conceit, and they pretended that they knew all the answers. They didn't actually know, and they just acted like they did. So Socrates realized that the reason he was called the wisest was not because of his intellect, but actually because of his humility. He acknowledged the limitations of his knowledge. And this, in a way, relates to our Christian walk, because we should realize that we're not perfect in our own righteousness a mature Christian comes to know that he or she is still growing in the relation in their relationship with Christ. And that again, that's the idea of sanctification. And it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, you have room to grow. It doesn't matter if you went to seminary um, or not. None of us have arrived at full maturity in Christ. And thus we are called to press on in our walk with Christ. So let's move on to our second point this morning. Our second point is, that we are called to hold on to the truth of Christ. Hold on to the truth of Christ. We see this in verses 16 through 19. So let's pick up with verse 16 of Philippians 3. It says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. We need to remind ourselves daily of the gospel message. Um, I think back to when I was in college, and one summer I was a camp counselor at a Christian sports camp, And even though I grew up in a Christian household, a a godly household, um, this this is what ended up happening. And it was much to my shame. So the first couple weeks, the camp director, he would share the gospel message with all of the campers and the staff. And I don't know about you, but I I would just kind of mentally check out. I would think, oh, here we go, the gospel message. Jesus died for me. He rose again for my sins. Uh, And it just kind of became mundane and monotonous because, again, I was in college, so I had infinite wisdom then, of course. Um, But I I would just kind of check out. And as the Lord would have it, I had a co-counselor who shared with me a book that he was reading, and it was a book by J.D. Greer, and it was called Gospel. Gospel. And he gave it to me, and I was like, great, thanks, man. Like, uh, I already heard. I already know this. I already know the truth. Um, but luckily, the Holy Spirit still prompted me to read it. And it was in reading this book that my view in the gospel was just changed, and it was honestly brought to life. And one of J.D. Greer's quotes, it's, it's in your notes. It says this, the gospel is not just the diving board. It is the pool itself. So whereas I thought that I wanted to dive into these deeper spiritual truths, I was reminded the gospel is not just the springboard to launch you into it. The gospel is about Jesus himself, and it's what we need to sustain us. So we don't graduate from the truths of the gospel. Like we need to take time to contemplate what it really meant for Jesus to come down to earth, to live life as a human. Um, we looked at that in Philippians 2, and, and what it meant for Jesus to, to go to the cross in our place, to take on my sin, to, to bear our shame. Um, to suffer the wrath of God, and then we need to rejoice in in his resurrection, um, his power of the resurrection it 's incredible, so we see here that the gospel is not just about Jesus, the gospel is Jesus, and that 's what we need to keep coming back to every single week when we worship and we sing about the resurrection I, I get excited um, Today, when we close, we're going to be singing my favorite hymn, which is "In Christ Alone." And one of the verses in it just really stands out to me. Um, it's the one where it says, "There in the ground, His body lay, light of the world by darkness slain." And we, you know, we see Jesus, who was the light of the world. It looked like darkness had won, and that and that He was dead and not, not to come back again. But then we sing the good news. Then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave, he rose again. And as he stands in victory, since cursed has lost its grip on me. So this is the gospel message, that Jesus conquered the grave, that he bore our sin. And even though we're still going to be struggling with sin on this side of heaven, um, Jesus has ultimately defeated sin. The, the verse ends by saying, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. And we see this echo back to verse 12 where it says that Christ has made us his own. And as a result, we get to say he is our savior. And it came at a, at a big cost. It cost him his life. It cost him uh, to lay down his blood. So I, just, I pray this morning that as we as we hear, as we read, as we sing the gospel, that we will just be reminded of the rich truths of it, that we won't think that we graduate from it, but that we will just keep coming back day in, day out to use that as our fuel for our walk with Christ. Um, I mentioned my three-year-old daughter earlier, and she loves to like read the same book over and over again. She'll just keep asking, Daddy, can you read me this one again? Can you read me this one again? I'm like, Holly, like, we already read that a bunch of times. Can't we read something else, something more interesting? And what she does is, like, you know, if I take too long to turn the page, she'll just say what's on the next page because she already, like, memorized it from reading it so much. And I'll see her, like, walking around the house and playing, and she's just, like, muttering to herself. I'm like, Holly, what are you doing? And she's, like, saying lines from the book. And she's, like, recreating these little play scenes with things from the book. And, and here's the truth. If a three-year-old can keep coming back to the same little silly book over and over again, how much more so do you and I need to keep coming back to the gospel? That's what we need to do. And we need to come back to it so much that it is penetrating our lives and that we can't help but start memorizing Scripture. We can't help but start telling other people about it in our day-to-day lives. Um, this is what we need to be striving for. We can also hold on to the truth um, by finding Christian mentors and not falling into the traps of this world. So let's go on and look at Philippians three seventeen through 19. Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. So at first glance, um, it kind of looks like Paul is telling the Philippians just to imitate himself, which kind of sounds conceited. uh, Because we know first and foremost, we are called to imitate Christ. We're called to pursue him. And so Paul kind of clarifies this in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul writes, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So what we see here when Paul says to imitate him is he's just trying to give them a tangible example, um, someone that they can look at as a role model, not to replace Christ, but a physical reminder that they can see and think back to Um, We've been going through in our community groups uh, the book by Robbie Gallaty called Growing Up. And I think he does a great job of making it really clear how important it is to have Christian mentors in our life. And one of the things that he explains really well is this idea that to be a Christian mentor, you don't need to be perfect. Like as we try and seek someone out to be our mentor, we're not just trying to find someone who is spiritually strong in every single area because that person doesn't exist, right? Unless you're Christ, you do not have it all together. But we see that by finding people that we can live life with, that we can look to for encouragement, there is great benefit. Um, So we talked about the idea of holy discontentment earlier. And I would encourage you, take some time, pray about an area that you're weak, and ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind someone who's strong in that area. And it takes humility in asking someone to be your mentor, but it is really rewarding. Find someone that you can live life with, that you can learn from, and that can challenge you and hold you accountable. Um, hopefully it's also a relief that if someone asks you to be their mentor, it doesn't mean that you have to have everything all together, uh, right? Because, again, no one has that yet. So, you know, maybe you're like a young father, and you're trying to find someone who balances their work life well and still loves their wife and kids really well. Live life with them. Ask them if you can just hang out more. Find someone, um, if you're weak in evangelism, that's strong in that area. Or it could be prayer or theology or service. The list goes on and on. Um, ideally, it would be best if you can find someone who is like a Paul, a Silas, and a Timothy. So to find three different people, right? We look at Paul, and Paul did a lot of his missionary work alongside of Silas, and he was a spiritual father to Timothy. So try and find someone like a Paul who's spiritually more mature than you. Try and find someone like a Silas who's at a similar stage of your life that you guys can spur each other on. And if someone asks you, find a Timothy that you can also disciple. Um, Discipleship is so important. So again, if you have not uh, gotten plugged into this book or gotten plugged in with a community group, I just challenge you to do so. If verse 17 is an example of what we should imitate, then verses 18 through 19 continue by giving us examples of what we should not imitate. And Paul's emotional as he writes about his sadness for those that walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And we too should have a brokenness for those that either do not know Christ or have chosen willfully to not follow him. Paul's likely referring to Um, those that he mentioned earlier in Philippians, who were the false teachers. Last week, we looked at the Judaizers, who were adding on to faith in Jesus with a form of Jewish legalism and adding all these works. And honestly, today, like, we still see that there are so many um, false teachers out there. There are church leaders who are trying to promote themselves, or they're trying to preach a prosperity gospel, or name it and claim it. And we need to point those to the cross of Christ because if they're not preaching the true message of the cross in Christ, that there was sin in our life and that Christ came to atone for us and to rescue us, um, then they're missing the true hope that we have in Christ. The Bible is very clear on how God feels about those who do not follow him. We see Isaiah write in Isaiah 5, 20 through 21, "'Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness.' who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Uh, The end for those who have minds fixed on earthly temporal things is destruction. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in in the things of the world um, in, in the here and now. We look at like entertainment, comfort, sports, money, politics, food, jobs. I mean, the list just goes on. And it's another reason of why we need to remind ourselves daily of the gospel message and we need to be fixing our eyes on Jesus and live in light of eternity. Romans 12:2 sums it up this way and it was actually one of the verses from the child dedication it says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So my prayer is that we would turn from the temporal earthly things that can never fully satisfy our hearts, and that we would hold on to the truth of Christ instead. Our third and final point this morning is that we must be transformed by the will of Christ, be transformed by the will of Christ. We see this as we close out in verses 20 through 21. Um, It says, but our citizenship is in heaven And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So we see that the transformation process, it begins when we receive salvation and it will reach its fulfillment and completion when we are with Christ in heaven for all of eternity. Uh, But let's start by looking at the word citizenship. Citizenship. Uh, Some historical context for you is that Paul was writing to the Philippians and Philippi was a Roman colony that was previously Greek. And the role of all the Roman citizens that were living in Philippi was to bring the Roman culture and Roman influence to their city and to, in that way, make it into a great city. They were not just supposed to complain about wishing that they lived in Rome. They were supposed to make the most of their time in Philippi. And we see a similarity here with our time on earth. Uh, We know that ultimately our citizenship is in heaven, but God has given us the task that while we are living on earth, a place that is not our home, a place that we might not ultimately want to be in, um, that we should actively participate in our sanctification by being transformed by the will of Christ, by sharing our testimony, by evangelizing to others, by bringing the influence of Christ to where we are living. Verse 21, it gives us a glimpse of the incredible news that our lowly body will be transformed uh, like Christ into a glorious body for all of eternity. And an even better translation for lowly body is the body of our humiliation. The body of our humiliation. Um, We see that only part of our regeneration takes place on earth. Regeneration is the idea of, of being made new. So our souls are regenerated. Uh, but we have to wait until the resurrection when our bodies will be regenerated as well. I know I, for one, am really looking forward to when all my lingering injuries and pains in my body of humiliation will be taken away when I receive a body like Christ. Uh, The phrase, subjecting all things to himself, it's actually Messianic language, and it comes back from the Old Testament in Psalm 8-6, where it talks about Christ having dominion and about all things being under his feet. A few weeks ago, we were looking at Philippians 2, and and we read that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And that is the good news that we should be clinging to. Um, Oftentimes, it seems like things in this world is just out of control and and is a mess, but we can come back to the fact that God is still on the throne. He has dominion over all. And one day, he's gonna bring us home if we are found in him. So to bring this back to the beginning of the message, uh, we read in verse 12, that we as Christians are not currently perfect. And the good news is that when we do enter into eternity, that's when we will be given the full perfection of Christ. So I'd like to start wrapping up this morning by taking some time to consider a few of the application questions. Um, I hope that you can take more time either today or later on this week to just pray through some of these. The first one is, it's kind of simple. Are you focused on earthly things or heavenly things? And one way that we can evaluate that is to look at, how are we spending our time and money? You know, what does your calendar reflect? What does your bank account reflect? What are your conversations about? What are you posting on social media? We should be challenged to think about what is truly gonna matter for eternity and to consider what things we can change in our life. It's in this way that we can press on in our walks with God. The second question is arguably the most important. Will you yield to the power of Christ that is working in you? Will you yield to the power of Christ that's working in you? Um, I pray specifically for anyone that has heard this message. If you're unsure, if you have a true relationship with Christ, the truth is we are all far from perfect, and nothing we can do, no amount of our good works can ever earn our way back into a right relationship with God. So I just pray that you take some time to think about this, and if you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to respond to this gospel message, uh, grab grab someone to talk to. We have our staff, our elders. We'll have our prayer team in the back with green lanyards. We have our next step cards. If you're watching online, there should be a link that you can follow up on that too. Um, that's what we're here for. We are here to make disciples, to to bring people to Christ, and then to continue to just challenge them as they grow. And honestly, like, we don't like to give up control as humans. None of us do. But we're called to lay down our lives and yield to the power of Christ. third question is, do you have a mentor in your life that points you to Christ? So this one should be pretty practical. Um, We said earlier, we're meant to live in community, and while we're not supposed to put a fellow Christian up on a pedestal, uh, there is great benefit that can be had by just finding someone that can spur you on and can intentionally mentor you. So spend some time in prayer thinking about an area that, that you're weak in and someone who could really encourage you and push you on in that. It's so biblical and rewarding, and it takes a great, of humility, a great deal of humility, but um, it's a good thing to do. My wife, Hillary, she just did this about a month or two ago, and it's been so neat to see the ways that she's already been challenged and encouraged by this individual. Our fourth and final question is, are you living a life that is marked by a pursuit of Christ? Romans 12, 9 through 21, it shows us how we are to live as a Christian so I encourage you, jot that passage down and, and read it sometime this week, asking God to actively grow you and just pray through the scripture that you can become more like Christ. Again, that, that passage was Romans twelve nine through 21. And the good news here, um, you know, as we look at this question, is that Christ has already pursued us. My prayer is that all of us that are listening to this message will respond to the call of Christ and that we will press on in our relationship with him. God will finish the good work that he's already started in you. So to officially close out, um, I'm actually going to read the last two pages of the book, You Are Special. Again, Eli, he represents God, and Punchinello represents you and me. So here's what Eli said to close it out. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks. said Punchinello. I know, she told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you left them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come to see me every day and let me remind you of how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember... Eli said as the Wemmick walked out the door. You are special because I made you, and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. So may we, as we continue to press on and are continually transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, may we, just like Punchinello, find that in daily returning to our maker, the world's perception of our worth will just fall to the ground because we know that we are his. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, uh, we, we just come to you grateful for this opportunity to open your word, uh, to be reminded that our salvation is not a result of our own works, but it is a result of what you did through your son on the cross. May we rest in that. May we place our trust and faith in him. And as a result, may we be encouraged to just press on in our walks with you. Um, It is your Holy Spirit that leads and guides us, and we eagerly await the day that we will be uh, with you for eternity in heaven. We give you praise, and in your name we pray, amen.